Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spill the Beats. I'm Navani Rachimalu, and today I'll be talking with Rachel LaFond. Rachel is a pianist and composer from Seattle who has lived in New Zealand for the past few years. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spill the Beats. I'm Navani Rachimalu, and today I'll be talking with Rachel LaFond. Rachel is a pianist and composer from Seattle who has lived in New Zealand for the past few years. Wow, I would love to live in New Zealand and now lives in Texas with her husband. She composes contemporary piano compositions. Her recent project, Lost in the Azure, is part of the Outlaw Ocean Music Project, an initiative started by reporter and Pulitzer Prize winner Ian Urbina, who reported on lawlessness in the high seas. We'll talk more about this project later on in my conversation with Rachel. But first, let's hear a clip of a piece from this project. This piece is the title track of the album, so obviously, it is called Lost in the Azure. It is a gorgeous piece. I know you guys will love it. Enjoy. again that was a clip of Rachel's piece Lost in the Azure. Now let's move on to my conversation with Rachel. Hi Rachel thank you so much for being here. Oh thanks so much Navani it's lovely to meet you and lovely to be here with you. Would you like to introduce yourself a little? Sure um, so I'm a pianist and a composer. Um, I do write a lot of solo piano music but I also write uh, piano driven other types of instrumental music. So I've written piano and cello music and sort of ambient textures and chorus and, and orchestral textures along with the piano. Um, I started composing probably um, about five and a half years ago. Don't quote me on that. But my first release was just over four years ago. Wow, that's really great. So how did this whole journey start for you? When did you start taking piano lessons? And, you know, how did that whole thing start? Well, my mother was a piano teacher, so basically, I mean, piano was just in my blood. She had me on her lap all the time when I was a toddler playing the piano. 
Um, one of the interesting things about having your mother be your piano teacher, though, is lessons are not consistent because, you know, you're not the one paying the bills. <laughs> right. So I'd have these epic long lessons where I'd learn all sorts of things. Um, but then there would be these big gaps. And it was really difficult to kind of get practice time at the piano because she was a single mom. We had one piano and she was almost always teaching on it. <laughs> right. So did you go to school for music after that? I did, yeah. Uh, when I was a, a teenager, I, I actually kind of temporarily dropped out of high school and moved to Vienna to study with um, a professor there at the University of Vienna when I was 16. Um, that lasted, you know, maybe five or six months. It wasn't, I was very homesick, it turns out. So, um, but uh, I went back a year later with like an actual exchange program and studied with the same teacher again. And I went to school for music to the University of Washington. Um, and I was a, a vocalist and a pianist. I was pretty passionate about both of those things. Although I started teaching piano when I was 11. Um, my mom had like a, a, a student teacher program and um, I was just chomping at the bit, mostly because they were like, she spent her weekends on the student teaching program. So if I wanted to spend time with her, I kind of needed to become a student teacher. <laughs> So right. I became her, her youngest ever student teacher at 11. And um, the, fir the first year I had 13 students. Which wow. Is... At 11? Yeah, it was too many. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been, um, gosh, I mean, even back to that time as a child, I've always been very enthusiastic about exciting new things. And um, I was just like, yes, mom, I want more students. I want to do more of this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a lot to take on as an 11-year-old. Yes, I think, I mean, like I said, in hindsight, I think it was too much. And I'm right. afraid I was probably not a very good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you probably you probably got better over time, you know, taking Absolutely. that much on. Like you're bound, you're bound to become a better teacher over time. Exactly. I mean, like anything, right? The more you do it, the better you get at it. And, you know, I did, I was pretty driven too. So I was studying and going to workshops and, and things like that. And that really helped. Um, so I taught all through my university time as well. Um, and I was kind of working with my mom. She had a pretty big piano studio with many other student teachers and like other associate teachers and things. So I kind of came up within this sort of oh, this weird structured business uh, kind of as in the piano business, which I think is kind of unusual for, for piano teachers. Um, and uh I'm so sorry. I just totally lost my track. No, that's okay. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that actually happens to other artists. <laughs> no, no, you're good. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> so I, um, uh, she kind of pseudo retired and moved away and I took over her whole kind of operation. And, uh, that was sort of the rapid move towards burnout, to be honest. Like I, I got, mm -hmm. I got pretty overwhelmed and pretty done with teaching. <laughs> right. So how did you make that shift from teaching to composing? That's a great question. And I had been playing, um, all, you know, Ludovico Einaudi and, and da David Lanz and all of these different sort of new age artists and mm -hmm. also the great classics. And I've been playing those around town, you know, um, but I, I never thought of myself as a composer. Um, in fact, David Lanz uh, was a friend of my mother's and, um, she kind of helped she was a part of establishing his workshop series which later later became very popular but she had these david lawn's retreats which she would host at her home 
and uh, we, you know, have anywhere between like seven and 15 people come and spend like five days with David Lons and he would give everyone daily lessons and there'd be daily recitals. And for the first couple ones of those, I got to cook for those and he was giving lessons in composition. But even though I had all this training, um, I just, I just couldn't, I, I don't know. I would sit down and I would try and write something and I would be like, that's awful. And instantly my inner critic would just be like, no, you need to stop right now. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, we all have that, yeah, right? This is yeah. crazy human thing, but it was so like paralyzing for me that it would just stop me from even trying. Um, and it was when I met my now husband, um, that, uh, his name is David and it was a couple of weeks after I met him. I remember I was waiting for a piano student and looking out the window outside. It was raining because it was in Seattle. And so, of course, it was raining. Um, and this music started running through my head. And, and I'm just kind of humming along and like kind of like you do with an earworm. Wow, this is really beautiful. Where, did, where have I heard this? And it occurred to me that I, I, I hadn't heard it before, that it was just something my, my mind was making up in this sort of wistful thinking about my new, my new bow, you know? Um, I can't believe I just said bow. um but and I just sat down at the piano and and played this music and it it was a process like I'd figure out okay what am I hearing there what are these notes and I've never been one of those musicians that just like hears something and it's like I played it right the first time like I know I have to like (laughs) I have to sit with it and I have to figure it out and I have to puzzle it out um but by the end of that evening I had my first piece which was called loving in the rain Really nice. That's awesome. And you also um, traveled with your husband for a year. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Two years after that, uh, we got married and um, we decided to sell everything we owned and quit our jobs. And that this is like about the time that I was just like, oh, I'm done with teaching. That was just something about the organization and the administration of it. And, uh, you know, I, I can't do it anymore. So I thought I was actually stepping away from music. We and we traveled all around the world and we 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 weren't sure if we were going to be gone for a year or two years or three years. But we just were like, you know what, we're going to do this before we have, you know, kids, you know, we're, we're going to have this adventure. And um, a couple of months into that, we came to New Zealand and it was right after we've been traveling around Southeast Asia, which is different enough from the U.S. and from many Western countries, just the experience of living in places where like um, clean water coming out of the tap is not a reality and things like that just a little bit of low-grade stress uh, for people who, it's probably low-grade stress for people who live there too, actually. But I guess you get used to it because humans are so adaptive. Um, But we got to New Zealand and the water out of the tap was fresh and delicious. And we (laughs) stayed in this this cabin in the hills west of Auckland. And it was this magical place. Uh, It was was so amazing. Like there was a grand piano in the middle of the room. We really splashed out because we're like, we need some comfort. Um, and like floor to ceiling windows all around and there was a wood-burning fireplace and it was just kind of like misting and raining all the time oh it was so nice (laughs) I want to go there now and And we were so and I was so happy to be reunited with the piano because I'd never been away from the piano for that long it had only been four months but I'd never spent that much of my life away. And I'd come from being kind of burnt out and not really wanting anything to do with the piano or at least music. And um, I sat down at this piano and all I wanted to do was play. And there was one, one songbook there. I've always been a really great sight reader because I'm a, I'm a visual 
artist of a visual I can't musician, relate. I would say. I cannot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but see, I bet oftentimes a lot of people who really struggle with sight reading might be really great at hearing something and being able to replicate it. Mm-hmm, and see, that's, that's really, that's really hard for me. Um, but visually, I, but okay, there was one book and it was a teeny tiny little Chopin book. And I played through that Chopin book and I was just like, okay, I'm bored of Chopin. I want to play something else. And, um, so I think just the desire, the urgent desire to be at the piano and to make music, but not having the means to do it just like unlocked something in me. And I had written music before, but it'd been like one song and then there was a year and then there was another song which was called redemption and then there was a year. i wasn't thinking of myself as a composer um and so i wrote this piece called ember warmth twin peaks uh while we were there in that cabin and i wrote like kind of the seeds for a lot of other things too it was just it was so exciting like what is happening to me um and then as we traveled around new zealand we were in new zealand i think for th- three months that first time maybe two months um I every time I found a piano and pianos kind of like found me like we, I guess we were asking a lot but like almost every little town had a piano somewhere that I could play and I would play the first two pieces that I'd written before we traveled and this new song that I'd written in this cabin called Ember Warmth Twin Peaks and um, people were just totally drawn wherever I was would just be like drifting from across space to be watching and be and what and then afterwards it'd be like what was that and who are you and you know at the time I was just like uh, I'm just a person my name's Rachel <laughs> you know? um uh but you know I I had so many great conversations with perfect strangers who were like you have to go record this like this is this is a gift to the world you have to share this music with the world like even if you don't do anything with it you know what have you got to lose and so finally at the end of these months I was like okay okay people all right <laughs> So I went to Auckland, which is the biggest city in New Zealand, and I recorded these three pieces. And within a week of recording those pieces, I wrote three more. Like just, I was going to play the piano at a practice room every day and just more music was coming and coming and coming. And so my partner David and I continued traveling all over the world. We went to Japan and we went to Vietnam and we went all over over Europe. Um, And everywhere we went, I found pianos wherever I could and I would write more music. And so my first album, Wandering Soul, we came back to New Zealand to settle, to live there. Um, And we were living there for three and a half years. But in that first year, I recorded Wandering Soul and then released it in May of, oh goodness, why is is math so hard? 2017. (laughs) Math is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's May of 2017 was my first album. That's so great. So do you feel like you needed that space from, you know, teaching and, you know, your life in the U.S. to start creating more and more? Yes, I I have to say. And, you know, it's tricky because it was a very privileged space that we were in that we were able to do that. Right. Most people aren't able to just step away from their entire lives and everything they've built up until then to create something new. But I think there might be a kernel in there that could be useful for almost anybody. And that sometimes just stepping away from everything that defines you and as much or as much as you can, you know, taking a break can, I think, create a lot of clarity for what you want to create or what you want to be. Because at the time that we left, I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And even while I was teaching before that, for the many years I was teaching, I was, I'm such an enthusiastic person. I always had a new idea. I was like, I'm going to be an aerialist. I'm going to be 
um, a great chef. I like, I'm going to be a Broadway star. Like I, I always had some new exciting, Oh, this is so cool. I want to do this. But ever since I started, um, I guess thinking of myself as a composer when we were traveling, when we were in New Zealand, that stopped. It stopped entirely. It's like I was casting about for some kind of meaning and some kind of purpose to be here. And, um, and I found it by stepping away from everything that had been keeping me so busy. That's a really important lesson. I feel like people always, you know, are trying to find the next thing, but a lot of the times it, it just comes to you, you know? I think it's in, inside of us, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the benefit that I had wasn't so much leaving the country, but it was making myself less busy because right. I'm, I'm such a, like, energetic, high achiever. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. constantly like, what's next? Oh, I got to do this. I have this goal. I have that goal, you know? So actually completely stepping away from that and being like, nope, I'm, I'm going to just enjoy things and do what feels right in the day to day. That's great. And you also have this like need to challenge yourself a lot, whether it's like going to a different country and traveling the world and kind of leaving things behind or, you know, your project, the 52, which is incredible. You wrote a piece every week for a whole year, which sounds very <laughs> tiring, but I bet it was really rewarding. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> it was um, It was definitely, that's great that you call that out as kind of a reflection of my personality because it totally is. Like, um, I love coming up with big ambitious ideas and um, my, my voice of reason is not always present. <laughs> <laughs> of like, what am I getting myself into? Um, but it was it was such a wonderful challenge. I, I got to set basically whatever challenges I wanted for myself. So I mm-hmm. wrote my first cover songs. I wrote my first music for not just the piano. Like I wrote my piano and cello piece, Just Beyond the Horizon, one of my favorite pieces that I've written yet. Um, and I, I even wrote an acapella a vocal piece like a rendition of Silent Night um, so I it was a great chance to really challenge myself I also wrote my first like okay I'm going to try and write something that's meditative which before had always been like I'm, I'm gonna write epic music I'm gonna tell big emotional passionate stories mm-hmm. but of course a lot of times what people are looking for in piano music especially in commercial settings is quiet and and background music and I'd always kind of been resistant to that but I was like hey the 52 is the perfect venue for me to try this out can I write meditative quiet music it turns out I could (laughs) do you still enjoy doing that or do you like your epic pieces more now um you know I feel like it's it's kind of all uh, an expression of the same of the same thing actually like before I think there was I had a little bit of like mm, I'm not sure I want to write background music um but now I I what I really love writing and what's important to me and kind of my mission as an artist is to express the the deepest emotional experiences that we have as humans in a way that can be a little therapeutic because I think capturing in music the sense of emotionally saying goodbye to a loved one as you imagine their spirit leaving this plane or um, the experience of pushing through something that's so incredibly challenging that terrifies you and then that feeling of absolute triumph when you realize that you've done it and that you realize that the person that can succeed at that thing does exist within you. I think that being able to listen to music that 
that comes from those kind of really intense emotional experiences can be really therapeutic for us because I think there's lots of people that really have trouble feeling those really difficult or really big emotions and I think music can be a way to kind of make that a more comfortable space to be to being in touch with our inner emotional selves right I think that's like a common theme amongst a lot of my guests you know they if they've uh, suffered a loss or gone th- through something that was really hard or, you know, they're channeling their extreme happiness into their song, it, that's what makes them so special and makes their music good and enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, music is, is an emotional language, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So, something that we can all listen to and, and speak and understand. Right. So more about the 52, was that a really stressful process for you to like just keep, (laughs) I'm just wondering because like just having to keep creating something every week, wouldn't that be stressful at times when you eventually hit a writer's block or something like that? It's kind of the, the I have a kind of a great untold story with the 52 um, in, and I've been meaning to do, I don't know, some kind of book for it or something because it was it was one of the greatest challenges of my lifetime to be honest um I so there was what you spoke about which is where I you just don't feel like writing anything and and all my music up until then at least my first two albums um had been like the music came to me like I Mm -hmm. like that first experience I told you about I would be doing something wonderful and the music would just start rolling through my head and I'd I'd feel this almost like divine madness it was this compulsion to get to the piano, to, to, to hear this music, to figure out what it is, to create it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the 52, and actually with my prior release also, Well Past Midnight, which was a Halloween release um, that I had the teeniest amount of time to write. I really put myself under like a very tight schedule to get that done because I wanted to get it done in time for October. Um, I had to learn how to, how to speak stimulate writing music which was something I have no formal training as a writer of music and so um, I found a lot of times what I need to do is I need to improvise until I found something that was like ooh, I like that and once I found like a hook or something that was like that's really beautiful then building that became almost like this cerebral process of like putting blocks together as opposed to before that it'd been like this wave of inspiration that was like this is what's supposed to happen next um and and it's nice because now post the 52 I have both of those strategies available to me you know Mm -hmm. I can I can kind of stimulate the writing of music or I can feel that wave of inspiration and just have this rush of music happen Right. I think both are really important because if you rely on just, you know, having something come to you at a random point in time, you know, you're not really taking control of the process as much as you could. But at the same time, you know, it's really nice when that when that does happen because you come up with a melody that maybe you couldn't create when you were, you know, trying to force something and write. something. Yeah, it's so easy and exciting when music is just happening it yep. does feel like like some kind of divine madness just just something is happening to me you know this yeah. music is coming from outside like, of myself it's really what it feels it's like like in the randomest moments you can think of a melody <laughs> it's just why why now <laughs> it's like <laughs> a rush to my phone you know mm-hmm. like exactly yeah yeah I use my voice memos all the time I've got mm-hmm. like psh, 
hundreds of voice memos <laughs> just going back for years of all sorts of little snippets. Right. I lost but, my phone at one point, so all of them, oh, I know, all of them are gone, but it's okay. I just, like, made new ones, and I saved the ones that I liked the most, so we're all good. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so let's... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna, I, I was gonna just tell, I think I kind of drifted off of the 52 again. I'm rambling a little bit. I hope that's okay. No, that's totally fine. Um, with the 52, so I started out and I had the first like six releases recorded and um, I had a tour, a six week tour scheduled like on week, I want to say it was like week eight, eight to 14 or something like that. And mm -hmm. so before I left on that tour, I had to write and record as much music as I could. And then while I was on tour, I was editing the music. I was designing the artwork because I was designed all the artwork myself. I was listening to the masters and doing all the promoting each week. Um, I got back from that tour and I got sick. I got like super sick. Oh no. And I almost didn't make it. I almost ran out of music. Like there is one piece right in the middle of the 52. It's called Embrace the Dance, which actually some people really love that one. So I don't want to get too into it. But like I basically had to take like three improv recordings that I had done and like stitch them together to make a releasable piece. Making because, it work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Um, and then halfway through the 52, I actually decided to take an intermission because I had released 26 pieces um, and I had been expecting there to be like this big like burst of growth on streaming services specifically due to all this released music. And I hadn't really seen that. And so I was like, okay, I need to take a month and I need to like redo my branding and redo my website and really commit to promoting. So I took that month and then got back on the horse um, afterwards. And unfortunately, about two weeks, maybe it was even the first week back, um, I had something called a sudden sensorineural hearing loss, like basically this traumatic hearing loss in my left ear. And if I had kept playing the piano, it could have become permanent. Oh, no. Wow. So basically, I got, I got the recording done that I needed to start the second half. And then I had this hearing loss and I basically had to not touch the piano for a month. Like the doctor said, no playing the piano at all for a month. And when, even when I was like listening to my masters, cause we were back in the role of like re weekly releases. So I had a finished masters coming from my mastering engineer. I had to listen, but I had to listen on very, very, very low volume. And so I could do a general check, but I'd have to have my partner, David, and some other outsourced people who are musicians listen to my releases to make sure there was nothing wrong with them. That's crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> You're good now, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I actually, like, to be honest, I still have a little bit of tinnitus. Like, I oh. still have when, like, I have to wear earplugs. I have to wear a special musician's earplugs when I play the piano. Um, that filter out the noise frequencies evenly so I can still hear everything. Okay. Um, but mm -hmm. if I play my piano without those earplugs, I will get ringing in my ears and there's potential for hearing damage. So oh, I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Lost in the Azure, which I, I'm going to play like at the beginning of this episode. Um, so what was that project? Like? It was called the Ocean Outlaw Project. The Outlaw Ocean. Sorry. Project. Oh my God. <laughs> outlaw oh, Ocean okay. Project. You, you got the words. <laughs> got the words right. <laughs> but how'd you how'd you find out about that? Um, and Ian Urbina's reporting. Can you talk a little bit about that and the context for the project? 
Absolutely. So it was last, I want to say it was um, last March. So I had, this was, the 52 ended on March 31st, and I moved from New Zealand to Austin, Texas at the beginning of March. So the very start of the pandemic. And we'd been in Austin for like two weeks, and I got this email from Ian Urbina just out of the blue. And he's like, I'm a real person, I swear. This is not a scam. <laughs> <laughs> this is my reporting. This is what I do. Um, would you be interested in, and I guess I should tell you what. So Ian Urbina had done, um, had released, published a book in 2019 called uh, The Outlaw Ocean that is basically about lawlessness on the high seas. So everything from sea, sea, goodness, everything from sea slavery to um, uh Human, human trafficking and illegal dumping and illegal fishing and um, the terrible things that these scofflaw ships do to stowaways when they're found on board, like all of these very intense human rights and, and, and environmental rights issues that were going un, undealt with because the ocean is just such a vast and ungovernable, ungovernable place. And mm -hmm. maritime law is a bit outdated honestly um for our modern world and and how connected we all are um and he said look i want to boost i want to tell these stories through music so what i'd like you to do is i'd like you to take um some of the, i have i was in the field for five years and i have five years worth of field recordings of audio that i took while i was on ships sometimes impersonating um you know, uh, of staff and stuff like that in order to get some of these recordings. And um, he said, I want you to take these recordings and write music with them to tell the story. And, um, and, and I, I'm, I'm a keen scuba diver and I love sailing and boating. I'm, I'm very much the ocean is in my heart. Um, and I knew I wanted to do this project and be a part of, of boosting these stories. So I, um, wrote Lost in the Azure, which is the title track. I wrote just the piano part for that um, shortly after we settled in Austin. And um, I sent that to Ian and I was like, here we are. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is the solo piano part. Like I'll add in some of your recordings later. And um, the record label responded back and was like, this is amazing. We, we would really like to hear more from you. Would you be willing to do more? And I thought, okay yeah i mean i'm i'm down this is a really cool project so i uh, wrote three more pieces to go with it and then um, over the next couple of months i taught myself how to produce because listening to the music listening to the epicness of it i'm and the story i was like i need more than just my voice at the piano for this i need ambient and electronic textures and i need strings and i need i need drums and i need i need all of this and i had no idea how to do any of it um Fortunately, I had a very good friend who's also my mastering engineer, Mike Blomendahl. He's been an incredible mentor uh, in everything from like um, how to mix. And uh, he taught me how to record. <laughs> I had no idea, you know, where to even start. And he, he came over to my house in New Zealand and taught me how to do it. Um, so he was able to kind of walk me through how to, how to produce, at least to get me started and kind of looking for the right resources. Um, and so it was a very intense couple of months because it was basically like learning a whole new instrument and how to play it, how to perform it, and then how to record it, and then how to work it in with the piano as well. Well, it seems like there's a lot going on with this process, and uh, it was like it seems like it was a big learning experience for you. 
It really was. It was my first time, you know, um, creating music electronically like that. You basically use like a, a piano keyboard and your computer and the computer has all these voices and you play on the piano keyboard. But then there's a lot of shaping that you can do through a program called a DAW or a digital audio mm -hmm. workstation. Um, and learning how to do that, um, it was it was incredible. It made me realize that I would really love to do music for film, um, working with all of those different sounds and all of those different instruments. Um, I love the piano, and it's you know it'll always be my main instrument. But I think there's some there's definitely something to be said for the depth you can add with other types of voices. Right. And so, what was your approach to? writing writing this piece lost in the azure i, I realize i've been saying that wrong <laughs> well, oh that's, that's all right i think there's i think there's a couple of different pronunciations of the word so it's azure i think so okay lost in the azure so i was watching the music video and it's absolutely heartbreaking the footage it is um it is really heavy stuff so what was your approach to writing music for something so heavy and something that really affects our world today well, these are issues that I really care about um, personally because I do spend a lot of time in and on the ocean. Um, and I, what I did is I, I read Ian's book and um, what, read through his pieces in the New York Times and made notes as I went about uh, th I, what I knew that I really wanted to capture were the, the human stories. Mm -hmm. So one of my pieces, the second piece in the collection uh, of Lost in the Azure is called um, Into the Eye. Mm -hmm. And that was specifically following the stories of um, two stowaways on the Dona Liberta, I, I believe is what the ship was called off of the coast of Africa. And that they were just dumped. They were just dumped at sea on like a makeshift raft and one of them died. And um, that particular story really, really stuck with me. And I was just like, how can I, how can I, this shouldn't be happening. You know, this shouldn't be happening in our world, but it's, it is. And it, it's, and um, the piece after that is called Invisible Tears. And I wrote that specifically about um, a young man who was, you know, who, who left his village um, I want to say it was in Malaysia. I have a terrible memory for these kinds of details. Um, but um, who maybe the no, it's the Philippines who left his village to be, you know, a fisherman and had all these promises of wealth and, and was taken advantage of by this big corporation and um, was sent home in a body bag, um, you know, months later. And that these 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 tears are invisible. You know, the, the, the grief of these families is the, the greater world just doesn't see it. Um, and I think there's something to be said about about kind of global privilege there that us in the West, we don't have to we don't have to look at um, at the pain and the grief caused by the lifestyles that we live. I, it's it's more complicated than that. And I don't think that there's like that we each have personal responsibility there, but definitely the society and the structures that we live in create this unevenness in the world where there's a whole probably even the majority of the people in the world you know we don't their grief can be invisible right and i had no idea about any of this before listening to your music so i think that it's so great that you're using your music to bring light um to these important issues thank you it was a really meaningful project to be a part of and um, i think ian urbina has done some really amazing work i mean really put himself at risk you know right. um mm -hmm. 
going and and the the footage from the music video that i put together that that you talked about that is actual footage from that ian and his team took um on the boats and some of it i'm trying to remember what i put in the music video there was some real intense stuff that i actually didn't put in the music video because i'm like okay at the end of the day this is supposed to be beautiful music and but um it was it was an interesting challenge to ride you know to as a human to take in this information and process it and feel kind of the grief of knowing these things are happening in the world and there's not a lot that that we as as single people can do about it but then also as a creator of media and entertainment to try and synthesize it in a way that is not so intense that people can't watch it you know it's Mm -hmm. not is is still appealing but also still very impactful and i think that was that was the challenge um yeah and it was really an honor (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, and i think something also that probably is is very different from like listener to listener so like for some people what might be fine for some people might not be for others so it's one of those gray areas where there's no like this is the right answer and this is the wrong answer you know Right. So do you plan to uh, continue writing music for current issues, like human rights issues and other things like that? That's a great question. Um, I'm honestly not sure what I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been, my mom passed away last year and I'm sorry. Uh, rather suddenly, thank you. Um, and with the pandemic and everything, you know, we moved, uh, David and I moved just at the start of the pandemic in March and showed up in a new city and uh in austin texas so much going on (laughs) yeah it's just been it's been real hard so finding like the the purpose of like this is this is what i need to do next um i'm i'm usually i I try to find that intense sense of purpose before i really jump into something and um but i think I, i i tend to be drawn to it you know in the middle as as part of my second album encounters of the beautiful kind i wrote a piece called tears for catalonia that was in response to a terror attack in Barcelona. Um, and I wrote, um, <laughs> a little embarrassed. Uh, one of, one of my pieces from the 52 was in response to a terrorist attack in Christchurch, the, the terror attack on the mosques, the, uh-huh. um, oh, yeah. yeah, I know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really, really super embarrassed that I can't remember the name. Oh, no, no, it's fine. Uh, I'm just like, oh, man, the 52. The interesting thing about writing so much music so quickly. <laughs> you just forget what, oh, did I write that? Oh, that's beautiful. You're right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the great thing about writing so many things. You can just go back and you know find something you, you completely forgot about. Yes, but I think I probably will. I um, Social issues are really important to me. I think as an artist, it can be a little tricky, especially as a new artist who is um, fairly on the younger side. And I think also being a woman can make us a little bit more vulnerable to like social attacks or cultural attacks. You know, if we do something wrong, mm-hmm. if we set a foot out of line, you know, um, I'm nervous about like setting, setting foot in, into some like cultural and political issues. Um, but those right. tend to be the issues that I feel most passionately about, as you might be able to tell from my, you know, yammering on about privilege here. I know I'm a, white woman you know but still I, I feel strongly about it and um yeah so we'll see <laughs> I guess it's the long answer I'm, the excited, short answer. I'm excited to listen <laughs> thank you and Rachel do you have any advice for people listening to this podcast anyone who is 
looking to start creating their own music? I do. I do. I do. Um, so someone said to me yesterday, actually, um, that they had recently come across the term trust the magic. And what that means is when you first start something, when you first start practicing something, you'll be just, I mean, you know, there might be something that you absolutely can't do completely out of your reach, right? And maybe even there's that voice inside of your head that's saying, I'm never going to be able to do this. I just suck at this. But the thing is, if you keep doing it, and if you keep practicing, and you keep at it, the magic will happen. And a couple of weeks later, you will be able to do that for that thing that in the in the first week or the first day was absolutely unreachable. And so I would say, to try and hopefully this person who told me this won't mind me stealing this from them but like to trust the magic so i want to put this out there this is not mine somebody gave me this advice um because it it will happen you know you don't need to have some magical um musical upbringing to be an amazing musician and to live your own story and that's the other thing is we all have our own stories and i think it's incredibly important even though we can learn from each other and we can learn from people who've had success, the most important thing as an artist is that you live to your truth and nobody can tell you what that is. Well, thanks for the advice and thank you so much for being here, Rachel. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Navani. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Spill the Beats. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel. It was so awesome to talk to her and to listen to her music. I really love her music. You guys should check it out on all the different streaming platforms. So be sure to check her music out. I will link her different social media pages um, below. And I hope you all have a great day. And I hope you enjoyed your summer if you were listening to this you know, early September when this is released. I hope you all had a great summer and I'm excited for the fall. I'll be back with another episode soon, so look forward to that. Thank you. (laughs) 